Welcome one and all to Influence Music Podcast. We explore new music and making connections back to previous musical generations via panel debates, uh, conversations and interviews with artists, enthusiasts and media insiders. Welcome one and all to episode five of Influence Music Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, it's mad how quickly it's gone, five episodes. So if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, I hope you've enjoyed them. And if you're a newcomer, I hope you enjoyed and and reflect back, uh, reverse back onto the previous episodes to see what we're all about. This week's subject is our favourite album of the decade, since 2010. So joining me this week, as usual, are my good friends, blogger, beatmaker and contributor to the show, Lee, the new beatmaker. Lee, how are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, Mark. Hello, Mark Williams. Hello, Mark Anthony. Good to see you both. And hello, listeners. And as Liz just stated, the other guest today is artist, radio show host, Mark Anthony. What's happening, Mark? All good. Hello, Mark. Hello, Lee. Glad to be here. So we're recording this on a beautiful summer's evening. Um, have you guys been out in the sun today? <laughs> sure, I have. I have. I definitely have. Yeah, I'm loving it. Have you, Lee? Uh, <laughs> um, Mark Williams will never let me. Um, <laughs> Mark will never let me live down the day that I got sunburnt in very cloudy, <laughs> not very sunny, not very hot weather. And no, I've stayed indoors. I'm like Nicole Kidman in the others. I've had the blinds closed. <laughs> Sorry, I had to drop that in there. Sorry, guys. Um, so yeah, today we are going to be discussing our favourite albums of the decade. Um, this was really hard, actually. It was very difficult to pick an, an album. Um, I just picked one personally that I was passionate about um, that uh, kind of led me down a, a different kind of musical avenue. I don't know how got you guys did it, um, but let's just let everybody know what their pick, our picks are. Uh, my pick is Kate Renarda's 99.9%. You guys? Humans by the Gorillas. Two. Him, a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Three uh, special and iconic albums there. Um, so I suppose I'll go first with what our, why I picked my album. Um, the first and foremost, I knew about Kate as a producer. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I was a bit late to the album. So to a personal friend, uh, Nathan Bajawa, big shout out to you because he notified me once the album was out and said, Mark, you need to get on this. And uh, from the very first moment I'm listened to it, I was I was a massive fan. So it's a bit of a kind of um, background to Kay Trinada as a producer. He is a Haitian-Canadian, um, a self-taught producer. Um, he would have worked with many artists that you would know of uh, on the album. There are some great features by Craig David, Aluna George, Vic Mensa, Bad Bad Not Good, uh, Anderson Pact on there, um, Sid from the Internet, uh, River Tiber. Yeah, I mean, and, and Little Dragon as well, who I'm a massive fan of. So the combination of the features and the music worked really, really well for me. Um, I would describe the how the, the album as a kind of mid-tempo house album, but it's really hard to give it a genre. He's got uh, Katrinaja's sound has, has has evolved. He has a second album since this one called Bubba, and it's very different between the two. But the first one was a very distinct sound that you could you knew it was Katrinaja on the beginning of every track. Um, I feel like there's a real strong Haitian influence to the tempo of his music. It's um, got that kind of Creole merengue kind of rhythm. Um, so on my playlist, I started with a couple of, of compass tracks, which is kind of like Haitian 
Merengue, um, just to kind of reiterate that. I don't know if that is a particular influence of his. I'm just putting the fact of the tempo of the music and the fact that he's Asian together. But it kind of it kind of relates, and I think it works really, really well. Um, through doing my research in Trinidad and being a fan, I mean, his production is everywhere at the minute. But he uh, he always puts down uh, Madlib and Jay Dilla as two of his big influences due to the fact that they were such iconic and are such iconic producers. So there are some Madlib, Jay Dilla and Jaylib tunes on my playlist. Um, again, reverting back to Jay Dilla, he will be a constant focus of the show. If you listen to our last episode, I know Lee did a really good piece on Jay Dilla's Donut. Um, and he's someone that in the music that I love will be a reoccurring factor. Uh, I also feel like um, it's got a real kind of, it's hard because the tempo is mixed. So yes, it's very kind of uh, Afro jazz influence in its tempo, but it's also really housey, really party atmosphere, um, very jumpy, very playful with his beat. So you have to revert back to, to, to the Chicago house, really, of someone like Frankie Knuckles or Larry Heard, the originators of house music. Um, so I put a couple of tracks in there. One of my favourite Frankie Knuckles tracks is, is on my playlist. And I think that's really relatable to the, to the album. I've also put four tracks from the album, my four favourite tracks of the album. Um, I won't spoil what they are in case you don't know what the... I've never listened to the album. So I would say listen to it first, listen to the album first, then maybe revert back to the playlist that comes accompanied the podcast and do a, do a little comparison. Um, I threw in a little random one, um, a disco tune called Love Machine by Supermac. Um, I, I I think that's got a direct correlation to to two K Trinada track. I again won't say what they are because I'd love the listeners to just drop a little comment uh, into uh, the Instagram or the Facebook uh, to let us know what tracks they think it relates to, just to see if they can get the comparison that I've put in there. So that's just kind of a little interaction, a little test. Um, my my uh, my random pick is a tune by an artist called Clara Hill. Um, called Nowhere I Can Go uh, and I think that there's no possible way Keitronada doesn't know this track like this came out maybe 9-10 years before the Keitra album and it just feels like he's listened to that for all oh, I like that and I, and my impression is that if you're a self-taught uh, if you're a self-taught producer that's where you go you have to go through influence because you don't have the same um, musical background in terms of of, of um, musicality, like if you're if you're self self taught compared to being a classically taught musician who then produces, I think it's a very different dynamic. Um, an example of that would be if you listen to MJ Cole's music, you can hear that this is a classically taught musician who produces. In reverse, with Keitra, you can see that this is a self-taught producer who is extremely talented, but there's a difference in the in the way and the beats and the composition is put together. Um, but yeah, that, that was my pick. Um, after listening to the album, um, enjoy it, but also then go back and look at come, come, some of Keitronada's other production, especially stuff that he's done with the internet, because I think he does work differently on his album compared to the production he's done with other artists. I think the music that he does with other artists like I've just said, the internet is very much kind of like the way Pharrell 
or the Neptunes have worked with people like Felice, and I refer to probably good stuff as a good example, where he doesn't let the production um, overtake what the artist or the vocalist is doing. Um, if you listen to good stuff, good stuff's a good example of the multi-talented Neptunes doing something so simplistic. However, it works so well because Khalees is so talented and it gets the balance so so right. It's a really underrated track, really. So um, I put that in my playlist for you to refer to. Um, I don't know how familiar you two guys are with Cage uh, Renarda's albums. Uh, I don't know if you have you, had you previously listened to it before my referral or, or is it something that's new to you? So for myself, I hadn't heard the album as such, but I was definitely aware of him and I remember some of the singles he released at the time and I was going to name the singles that I really liked from the album but based on what you were saying earlier Mark about people wanting to uh, or needing to refer to the um, Spotify playlist I'd kind of rather people do that ironically the album that I have listened to from him is the Bubba album but I've actually haven't listened to um, this album but something which really stood out for me as a huge, huge music fan is the fact that he doesn't really stick with one genre. So what I really picked out of this, um, all the songs I've heard from the album, is that he kind of messes around with sort of electronic, hip-hop, dance, funk kind of styles. And I know we're really not talking about um, the Bubba album, but when he released the next album, which was a few years later, I think it was last year or 2018. Yeah, 2019, yeah. 2019, was it? Um, then he really kind of expands on his musical genres in terms of, you know, a little bit of Afrobeat, R&B, disco, hip-hop. So I, I found him a really interesting artist. And based on your pick for this show, I will be listening uh, to the album. What you've just said there is so true. So with this first album, I think it's a distinct Patronada sound. When you get to Bubba, he's evolved as an artist. I think he's expanded his horizons and increased his capabilities. That yeah. that, that that quintessential, what they used to call a Patronada sound, has kind of evolved and it's become something different. So I totally agree with what you've just said there. Yeah, I totally agree with those points. Mark Williams, Mark Williams know this and, and, and Mark Anthony, just, just to reiterate, I um, refer to myself and my musical tastes as being, I think they're quite broad in that broadness. Maybe my understanding and knowledge of any particular style is more shallow. And Mark, as Mark Williams has so eloquently explained it and some of the influences that I didn't know myself, um, because Mark knows various types of types of music, the merengues and things that are, are I know the name but I have to hold my hand up and, and say it it goes outside of my remit but thank you Mark Williams for bringing these, these things to light and, 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 and sending me down those avenues to check out but as far as my own experiences with Kate Trinada um, Mark Williams as you know I, I, I don't want to advertise things outside of influenced too much but back when I was more on my um beat making um blog of of my own um that i uh, i still update every now and again but but not as much as as i as i once did but let's say that 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 2011 2012 to 2014 2015 era k Trinada was one of the people that i really started to um enjoy the music of and get excited about um i just wanted to take the time to expand on Mark Williams 
urging listeners to go and check out Kate Renarda. And of course, I don't want to steer and hijack commandeer the conversation too much. But if you also want to check out some of his, at least in a loose sense of the term, check out his label mates over at her, at, um, her what and where music, which is a, a, a California and LA record label. And there are people who we have discussed over the previous episode, so I'm not going off on too much of a tangent, but people like um, Ackwright, who is a post-Jay Diller hip-hop artist that uh, I absolutely love some of his projects. I mean, not that there's a bad project. Let's just say that I heard someone got obsessed with them before I heard others. Um, Judge, um, who did a fantastic project called Walnut, and he is on um, a playlist of mine on the, um, like Ackwright, the um, Jay Diller Donuts influence podcast um obliv and i hope i'm saying the name right you know when you see a name and and you don't hear it it said out loud but um obliv is an amazing artist taku who did 50 days for dilla volume one and i think what you're you're hearing is how her what and where and kate and in in my lazy um way of wording it has a fantastic intersection of an intersection of of house music and hip-hop in a way and, you know, uh, again, I, th- I think we, we were both fans of, of tunes back in the day, like Turn Up the Bass by Tyrese. And, and I really like that whole kind of hip house movement of the um, the 80s. I'm showing my age. But um, Kate Trinada is far from a 1980s hip house throwback. Um, I, I think uh, people like um, Kate Trinada, even Disclosure, where it's kind of like you can tell that they've got, got one ear on Masters at Work. Um, one ear on Jay Diller, um, another ear which makes them sound like they've got three ears. But you know what I'm trying to say. It's, 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 that's a really good point because actually the album came out on XL Recording. And yes. XL was one of those, it's a British-based label, not a big American yeah. one. Started no. in like the late 80s and like 89. And we know them for putting out music by people like Dave the Bank, FA, Mia, Podgy Radiohead, Stampa part of the creator which is yeah. all that kind of creative out there let's see what your influence is yeah artist and freedom kind of thing which I think it falls into the remit of the album as well so yeah very good point but what I really got introduced to um, Kate Tanada through was his remixes and I think this is where Mark Williams says about the Kate Tanada sound Janet Jackson the yeah. If Remix or the Tegan Moses Jones. Yeah. Tidamo, this be your girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, ah, Aluna George, Kaleidoscope yeah. Love, which is an absolute banger. So when the album came out, I liked the fact that it was enough of what I thought of as a Kate Tanada sound to satisfy, but also developing and, and, and you know, t- taking risks. And it still ain't a goddamn thing you could tell me. That video is so sick, though, as well. I love that video. Yeah, Kate Tanada directed it as well. Don't I look like a pharaoh? Yeah, it's dope. It is dope. My, my track of the album isn't that one. It's the one with River Tiber, though. I love that tune. I can't remember what it's called, though, off the top of my head, but I do love it. <laughs> hey, Mark, what, Mark Williams, what did you think when um, Got It Good, which I'd heard as a beat long before... Oh, i tell you what it was. Instrumental Hip Hop Is Dead by Kay Tanada. Yeah. What do you think of that album? What do you think of that project? What do you think of that beginning? That sounds like a spaceship. Just, and then it's got the Master P. Before 99.9%, I believe there's two Kate Tranada albums. 
there's two previous albums. Um, but I, I kind of feel like there's an evolution on every album. Like, I, he, he kind of is always evolving and developing. I won't say his sound, just his ability. Like, that's what happens when you're a DJ slash self-taught producer. Like, it's a constant movement. He, um, but going back to um, Got It Good, do you know when I first heard it? And I was like, I know that voice. Who's that? I know that voice. Like, who, who's that vocal? Who, I, I know it. What, it sounds like, is that a Canadian? Because they didn't sound American. I thought, that's someone English. It took me, I must admit, it must have took me like a good two and a half minutes into the track before I realised it was Craig David. But, um, and we hadn't heard from him for ages at that point, had we? Like, he was, he was one of those acts that had gone missing. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a weird yeah. connection because I wondered like there are like a Luna George they're British as well aren't they so um, yes. it w- I don't it doesn't feel like an album that was made for an American market it does feel like an album made for a European market like it was a very kind of dancey fusiony kind of sound um, mm. yeah like, I loved it I mean yeah exactly yeah made right on the internet did you say made for the, the internet yeah massively we went to Coachella in 2017 and the set of the whole festival was sunsetting Kei Tronada. It was just like, the, the whole thing just merged together Like, and he played his music as well as other tracks but the majority of it was just all his music or his remixes of things. And um, yeah, it was just, it's just magical. It's magical music. Like, it, it, but it's hard to kind of like you said it's like house hip hop it's like it's hard to show where it kind of sit but I mean I think um, the production on the internet girl it's a prime example of of, of his music because that's that, that slow and it's really slow and rhythmic and like it would be like a hypnotic but those those hi-hats and those deep bass lines they're house beat you know what I mean but it is it is an R&B kind of that vocal just sits so well on it. Girl. It's just, he's a genius. He's a, considering he's learned to do that at his house, he's a genius. Like, he's up there. He's right up there. Sure, 100%. 100%. Thank you. So, who, which one of you two guys wants to go next? On last week's, on last week's episode, um, Mark Williams discussed um, Snoop Doggy Dog, Doggy Style. Um, which is a quintessential West Coast G-Funk hip-hop album helmed, masterminded, so to speak, by Dr. Dre. Um, I discussed Donuts by the late, great Jay Diller, which mixed um, low... F- don't really want to say the term lo-fi because it's starting to become a little bit of a, a, a stigma attached to lo-fi, but quote-unquote proto-lo-fi um, jazzy beat tape um fantastic album project um whilst that was a solo album jay diller was was very much a part of the soul Quarians uh, with people like most f and common i'll come back to that in a moment listener and um mark anthony um talks about an album that we'd both slept on a little bit which was diggable planets which incorporated and made fantastic use of all these classic jazz records and in an effortless style, um, celebrated um, the black experience and, and, and black consciousness and, and, and black thought. Now, you can see where I'm going here. This album is an album that 
is one part West Coast G-Funk, one part jazzy, lo-fi, um, soul quarians and, and common style um, hip-hop. And in another way is, you know, leading on from that last observation, used as and utilizes so much, you know, jazz music influences to, 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 to discuss different elements of the black experience and, and, and black American music. And the album is Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, now, this um, episode, again, isn't a debate. Um, this, this is just, you know, re records that we very much enjoy and what's our favourite. So I, I'm not going to hijack it and turn it into a debate. However, I would say that this is my favourite album of the past 10 years. I, I, I'm also very interested, and this sounds a little bit like a subliminal challenge, but if there's an album that's better than this, I really want to hear it because I, I would argue it's, it, it, it's the greatest, most impactful album um, of the past 10 years. But again, I'm taking the conversation somewhere where it really shouldn't be. Now, Mark Williams, I, I have to confess, I completely flipped my playlist at the last minute um, so again, I, I'll try not to um and ah too much. But um, when Mark Williams first um, posited this question to us um, a few weeks, when was it? Was it about March time? Yeah, it was about two months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, eight weeks so ago. I, so I congratulated myself on putting together a playlist that was half to Pimp a Butterfly and half Like Water for Chocolate by Common which is an album that came out, I believe, in the year 2000. And I think there are a lot of similarities, both musically um, in those albums and also thematically. And sometimes the people that are involved in one album, for instance, Bilal, are on the other album. So so I'd really prepared and, and, and cross-examined and whatnot. And then um, Mark Williams discussed Doggy Style. And um, that changed um, my approach to this evening's this evening's talk about To Pimp a Butterfly because suddenly I thought, well, how impactful was Doggy Style? How impactful was Doggy was Dr. Dre? And over the last few days, I keep coming back to this whole thing of wanting to celebrate predominantly West Coast MCs because there was a time listener. I mean, we, Mark's just talked about an artist who is from Montreal and there's a musical style that is a mix of Detroit and Chicago meets Haiti um, so on and so forth, and it and is universally loved. But there was a there was a point in time where hip hop was very um, regional, and there was a lot of um, schisms, which we we won't go into. But there was a there was a stereotype. If you remember, there was a film called White Men Can't Jump about basketball. There was a stereotype about West Coast rappers that that some hip hop snobs came up with that went along the lines of West Coast rappers can't spit. So what I decided to do was in 2020, that, that sounds completely insane because rap is so national and international and, and global and universal. But I decided that I'd put together a playlist that celebrated West Coast lyricism throughout the years. So on my playlist, and I won't go through every single song because, of course, I'm, I'm hugging the microphone a little bit. But um, I have got on this playlist artists who excelled and pioneered in, in what they loosely termed street knowledge. So you have Ice-T um, telling you, yeah, this the, the fly club. I mean, of course, Kendrick Lamar from the West Coast and growing up in the environment that he did. You can hear on To Pimp a Butterfly him talking about um, the LA life and the, the highs and lows of it. Um, back in about 87, 88, 
Ice-T was talking about, yes, it's sunny and it's glamorous, and if you make money as a hustler, it looks good, but at the same time, you, you can go to jail, you can end up strung out, and, and so on and so forth. So we've got songs um, exploring the, the, the highs and lows from people like Ice-T. Um, West Coast G-Funk has been on my mind ever since Mark put Doggy Style back in my, in my head. So um, one of the tracks on the playlist is by a group who, along with Dr. Dre, um, people talk about being pioneers of the West Coast G-Funk sound, the synth sounds and the, the George Clintons and the, and, the, and the Roger Troutman style vocal effects. They are a group called Above the Law, represented here with their track Black Superman. There was a stereotype of every West Coast rapper is a gangster rapper, and a gangster rapper sounds like this, and a gangster rapper can't spit and be intellectual at the same time, and all this type of silliness, and an artist like Above the Law showed that not to be the case. Also on here are artists like Paris, who was um, an Oakland rapper who was one part Black Panther, one part Nation of Islam, and he rapped over these heavy, heavy bass, heavy... Um, up-tempo instrumentals and I always likened him to a West Coast Rakim he had a stoic kind of flow he was very po poetical he was, he was very political um, but he rode um, a beat like nobody's business um, speaking of Rakim um, he is on here alongside um, Guru and DJ Premier on a remix of Militia um, which they are joined by um, another West Coast stalwart of WC or Dub C um, again showing that we're even in the middle of this so-called east coast west coast schism there were rappers going look we're, we're we're all on the same side there's also music by people like sophia or sophia um souls of mischief who mark williams talked about in a previous episode rappers that that were able to take a, a jazzy element of people like a tribe called quest and show that west coast rappers can wrap their asses off this playlist of mine isn't for the um the Faint of Heart, there's um, tracks on here by Ice Cube and Raskast, which may, um, even the most liberal of, of listeners may may find hard to swallow some of the opinions put forward. But I think that's the case on, on, on records like To Pimp a Butterfly 2. And, you know, music, especially American music and rap music, has has held a mirror up to some parts of American society. So I'm just I'm just, just putting that out there. And right at the end, um, like I say, a lot of the playlist is West Coast lyricist heavy. Um, but right at the end, I, I did make a nod to the um, album that I was going to base my, 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 my monologue around, which was Commons Like Water for Chocolate, um, a song for Asada. Um, which is, of course, um, going through the life of um, Asada Shakur. Listen to that song, and then go and listen to Mortal Man by Kendrick Lamar, where at the end there is an interview with, with of course, Tupac Shakur. So bear in mind, listeners, that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to angle or inveigle another show where I can talk about commons like Water for Chocolate and the book market with To Pimp a Butterfly. So it's a little bit cake and eat it too. But yeah, this week, thanks to Mark Williams and him reminding me just how amazing Doggy Style was and the whole era in the mid-90s where there was this schism between East Coast and West Coast. And even some European hip-hop fans going, oh, I won't listen to the West Coast because West Coast rappers can't rap and they're not intellectual. And it's like, have you heard of artists like Paris and Sapphire and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien and... All these other people on, on here. Food for thought. And, um, you know, it's funky at the same time. Thank you.
No, I totally agree with everything you just said there, Lee. Um, very good points put across of the album. I love to pimp a butterfly. For me, it is the best hip hop album since Nas's Illmatic. In fact, I kind of feel like it is the West Coast Illmatic. Like it just has that about yeah. it. Um, and, and, and one of the comparisons that I would put is that if you go back to Illmatic, one of the things that made it great is that you had a, a really articulated, um, strong minded lyricist who was put together with some of the best production talent of the time in the sense that he had Premiere on it, Large Professor, Pete Rock, Q-Tip. And I kind of feel that that works as well with Pimp and Butterfly because the production team on that is what, Terrace Martin, Knowledge, Thundercat, Flying Lotus, Pharrell. You know, I mean, we've both talked about Flying Lotus and both seen him live and just kind of like blew our minds, like literally put me in a, in a, in a, in a different state of mind. Yeah. And uh, uh, me and Mark Anthony are going to see Thundercat in in October um, so yeah I mean I, I love the album and uh, I totally agree with also what you said about um, the West Coast scene especially someone like I remember when Ice-T dropped Colours and it wasn't until years and years yeah. later that people gave him the respect he deserved for actually talking about a situation rather than stating that he was trying to glamorise and he wasn't a lyricist but in reality he was just trying to talk about his environment and, and what he was surrounded by um, and I think that's effectively what what Kendrick does in this album. He, he talks about the political situation and what he's surrounded by at the time of making the album. So, um, a great pick. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's up there in my top 50 albums of all time, without a doubt. So, um, I'm never going to say a bad word about it. To Pimp a Butterfly, I can speak about it forever. I have to say, when I saw that you picked it, Lee, I thought, damn, I am not going to be able to compete with that at all. I was, I mean, I'm a Kendrick Lamar fan anyway, but I was a huge, huge, huge fan of the album when it came out five years ago. And, you know, I had it on repeat for quite a number of years and I still do sometimes because for me, like yourself, my musical tastes are quite eclectic, but the features on here are just like my dream team A-listers of singers and producers so you've got people like George Clinton on there as you said Thundercat Mark Reference Bilal Snoop Ronald Isley Rhapsody Pharrell and I that's just for me it's like wow like you know as a musical artist myself who obviously can't compare myself to someone like Kendrick Lamar I would be dizzy with hype if I was working with those people but even down to the production again you guys mentioned Flying Lotus who I've seen live as well a couple of times you know Pharrell Knowledge Dre it's you know it's it's, cr it's cr absolutely crazy absolutely crazy and what I like about the album is that yes it's straight up you know, some could argue that, you know, the main genre of it is hip hop. And for me, it's probably my favorite hip or one of my favorite hip hop albums. But it also has influences on there of jazz, funk, soul, you know, spoken word and stuff. But as you both referenced earlier, there were real, the album's quite meaningful in terms of him speaking about his own experiences and experiences that were going on at the time, such as, you know, African-American culture, racial inequality, you know, depression, discrimination. It was very much like a commentary on what was going on in society at the time. And you could argue that it's still going on now. Um, really probably yeah 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 d definitely and uh, Kendrick Lamar in interviews and stuff because I've seen loads of interviews of Kendrick Lamar and documentaries and stuff and I know he looks up to rappers such as Eminem Nas Jay-Z Biggie and Tupac and um, yeah I, I can kind of see that influence in his music however w one thing I 
thought, and the music genres are quite removed, but an album that it reminded me of in terms of the messages at the time, not the style, because the guy I'm going to reference in a minute isn't a rapper, he's a singer, mm-hmm. but it really reminded me of the Black Messiah album from D'Angelo. Oh, oh and the Vanguard. And, yeah, it does actually. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, it does. Obviously, because I'm, I'm waiting for people to say they're nothing like each other. I know that. In terms they are. Of, but in terms of the messages in the album, and you know, like yourself, Lee, I'm in danger of just talking forever about it because I have nothing negative to say about the album apart from the fact i was quite jealous when you picked it i was like how can how am i going to be able to compete with that i was just going to say you know what you guys carry on i can't do this so because i can't pick an album that can even compete with pumper butterflies so yeah it's a brilliant album so actually going back to that though what you've just said there mark i would put that d'angelo album as one of the most slept on em- um, albums i've of ever like it's so, I don't understand it. Like I, I never really understood why people didn't get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, such a, yeah, it's such a great album. And you're right. In my mind, it was underrated and a bit slept on, and quite slept on, if I'm being honest. But um, yeah, you know, listening to Pimper Butterfly, it's always reminded me of the messages within within the Black Messiah album. But yeah, great, great, great pick. But the, but the big difference from what we've had from previous um, West Coast rappers is that yeah. this album, for us as Brits, is relatable. Because there's less yeah. in the album about gang culture and more in the album about social equality, which yes. which, which applies to everybody. And I think yeah. that's the difference. I think that's, the, I think that's what made it transcend, is that it was relatable yeah. to whoever you are, wherever you are. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Most, most definitely, because you're right. In terms of listeners listening about gang culture, yes, there's an element of that in a different way. I'm just talk, talking, obviously, from a UK perspective, but we haven't lived that lifestyle and we can only relate to it in a way that a music listener would. Whereas with this album, there are elements of it that most people can relate to, particularly, I guess, if you're of the sort of, I don't know, black kind of culture you know with what's going on at the moment with what's going on at the moment i'm not obviously limiting it to just um black black listeners but i think you know i, th- I think everyone can relate to it sure. to the within the album to different extents sure 100 yeah great pick lee great pick black messiah came out and i just had to do my quick wiki check because i thought it was around christmas but that might have been a metaphorical oh uh, it's like christmas when d'angelo drops an album that came out in december 2014 and as Mark Anthony says, that's got one of the most beautiful protest songs of all time on there, um, which is The Charade, which again, to me, is, is, is a perfect line. It's almost like if Prince was to write a song for Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. I feel like that's what um, D'Angelo's The Charade is. Um, the whole album itself, it, you know, there isn't a second, a, a bar, a chord progression, a, a lyric, a, a note. There isn't a moment wasted on the album. And one of the things that I think, going back to the previous show, um, Reaching by Diggable Planets is underrated. And I said that it was underrated slash overlooked because it was too much of a good thing. I think that what happened with the D'Angelo Black Messiah album was... In roundabout March, April, I'm looking at Wikipedia, of 2015, um, To Pimp a Butterfly came out. And I kind of feel like, whilst they're not, they're not similar in some way, 
I kind, I kind of can't help thinking that if the space between the two albums was more so, D'Angelo's Black Messiah would have been talked about more and for longer, even though they don't sound the same um, in, 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 in some ways. I just feel like it, it was eclipsed. Because, you know, look what I said. I said that to Pimper Butterfly is the is greatest album, in my opinion, of 10 years. And then, of course, Mark Anthony says Black Messiah, and I scream in joy because that album is... Can, if I, you know, can I say hey, that's the other side of that best album coin? You know, yeah, so I can edge it. my bets a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I think it's evident that we can all talk about this album forever because it's such a great album, such now, a great album. Now, before Mark Anthony goes on to his pick, um, there are names that keep coming up again and again and again. And if you've heard it, cool. And if you haven't, I'll feel very um, pleased with myself. Have you, gentlemen, heard the track Share the Lavishments of Light Looking? Yes. Um, hey! <laughs> Listeners, that is Flying Lotus, Shabazz yes. Palaces of Diggable Planets, and Thundercat. And, and I hoped that that was me getting points um, of a, <laughs> hey guys, have you heard this? And of course... Um, that backfired but yeah how amazing is that track yeah yeah brilliant track and again it features you know my some of my favorite artists in the world what a great track yeah so, i'm always worried when things like that happen though because i always think to myself what happens if that's a failure like that when, when you're that artistically different yeah. trying to merge those things together you always think to yourself, oh this might not work for example yeah. the slaughterhouse album you know what i mean yeah, 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 yeah. But in, in yeah. this in this instance, it was it was genius. Yes, yes, yeah. No, definitely because it's one of these things that's either going to be really, really great and live up to the expectations that you'd have. Or you're going to be gutted. Albums, yeah. Or you're going to be gutted, which could taint your opinion of those artists because you know a lot of the time you base your opinion of an artist on the last thing they released on occasions. Mm, definitely, hundred percent. So, Marky Mark, what was your album pick? Humans from the Gorillas. Now, uh, the Gorillas uh, a worldwide famous virtual band who are um, headed up by the animator Jamie Hewlett and Damon Albarn. I was quite late in terms of listening to the Gorillas' music because it wasn't until around 2010 I listened to a Gorillas' album, which was Plastic Beach. And what really drew me to Plastic Beach, before we obviously move on to Humans, was the diversity of the different artists on the album. So you had people... If, so if you imagine Damon Albarn, everyone knows him as uh, the lead singer of Blur, indie, pop, whatever it is. You know, all of a sudden he was working with artists like Kano, De La Soul, Bobby Womack. And you think to yourself, how does that work? That really doesn't work. You know, Little Dragon, Kalela. And you think that really, really shouldn't work because obviously their music genres are very, very different to what you would associate with Damon Albarn. So I listened to the Plastic Beach album, really got into the Plastic Beach album, and I've kind of tuned into what the Gorillas have put out since then. And then after 2010, the Gorillas broke up, or they, or they actively didn't work together um, again until 2017 when they brought out this album. So it was a quite 
a highly anticipated album in terms of okay what are the gorillas gonna bring out and with this album we had people like vince staples popcorn dram anthony hamilton Della Sol, Denna Brown, Kalela, Mavis Staples from the Staples Sisters, Pusha T, and um, Benjamin um, Clemens' time. So that immediately drew me to the album again because it was one of these situations where I was just thinking, how is that going to work? And then when I looked at who was behind producing it, Twilight Tone, I thought, okay, I must listen to this. And when the album first came out, I remember not... Um, listening to the album probably for about the first few weeks for whatever reason not consciously but I was, I was still thinking alright I must listen to the album and then when I heard the album I remember walking around Manchester just sort of on my own with headphones on listening to the album and I was quite mesmerised because to me the album's a, you know, a really really great album and quite an unpredictable album because one thing I have realised with the Gorillas is that although this album is very influenced with urban American styles and what I mean by that is hip-hop, R&B, jazz, funk. I kind of think to myself, well Damon Albarn's involved in this so how is that all going to fuse and Mark made a reference earlier about certain artists or certain styles fusing together it would either be really great or not so great and to me it was you know it was it was a great fusion and then after a period of time i was lucky enough to um be on part of the tour for the promotion for this album so the gorillas went on a worldwide tour and i was lucky enough to be able to do some stuff on the uk leg of it so by the end of it i saw about i i saw from top to bottom about five or six uh full shows of the promotion of this album and i have to say it was it was absolutely great because again not just about the gorillas but it just gave the listeners or music fans like myself just a chance to see so many artists all on one stage all from different genres so you had people from noah gallagher from uh, oasis to jenny beth from uh, the Savages which is a um, rock band and then you had De La Soul on there and you, then you had Mavis Staples who was obviously the lead singer of the Staples Sisters Pusha T and, and um, unfortunately by that time Bobby Womack passed away but there was a lot of references to Bobby Womack and again you think to yourself how does that work that really 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 shouldn't shouldn't work and even in um, listening to interviews that Damon Albarn was giving throughout the tour people were not expecting it because you think to yourself, well, Damon Arbon cannot get away with doing hip hop music or working with hip hop artists or featuring on hip hop songs. But again, it just, you know, it just worked. And, um, you know, it, it, they were fortunate enough to have quite a lot of commercial success with the album. It got to number two in the UK and it, you know, it was, it was really big, uh, worldwide. And for me, as well as talking about the album, I guess it had some good memories for myself because, as I said, I was lucky enough to be able to be on part of the tour, and it was, you know, it was it was great. Um, I wouldn't say it had quite the artist lineup of the Pimper Butterfly, but seeing a lot of the artists on there that were on that album or have been on past albums to be on one stage to you know perform these tracks, um, it, it was it was really 
something else. It was it was really really something else, and uh, it was really interesting hearing and seeing some kind of documentary snippets about where they recorded the album. Because although the basis of the recording was in a studio in West London called Studio 13. The album was recorded in parts of America, or parts of Europe, and Jamaica. And um, yeah, you know, it was it was just a really, really odd but great collaboration in my eyes. And I still listen to some tracks from the album now. So that's my pick to pimp. A Butterfly was a great album, but Humans is also a great album in my, in my view. And I will leave the floor open for you guys. So I'm going to talk about this now because this album made me fall in love with the Gorillaz again. My favourite Gorillaz album is the second studio album, which I believe was produced by Danger Mouse, which is called Demon Days. Yes, it was. Yeah, 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 I yeah. love that album. That, that album Demon was solid. It was a solid yeah. album, but I felt the next two albums after that. Then, when you said like you only rate an artist by the last one, like right, you just said previously, yeah. and it kind of was like, I don't know, do I even bother getting the fifth album? But because yeah, it yeah. had the features on it of the kind of talent at the time, Vince Stables, De La Soul, Danny Brown, Pusha T, Dram, yeah. it made me get it. And obviously, so you know, the way yeah. we consume music's different. If, if it was back in the day and I had to pay nine ninety nine for the CD and walk to Woolworths, I might not have got it. But because I just put it on my iTunes, yeah. I did, and I love it. It's a great album. It yeah. is, and, and it's made me yeah. want to go back to listening to... It's made me a Gorillaz fan again because I've forgotten about those two previous albums that I didn't like at all. Um, it's yeah, a solid yeah, yeah, album, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think... And I think it's really, 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 really difficult for someone like that because the guys work on so many projects and have so many facets. Blur, um, uh, Gorillaz. Good, the bad, the queen. Uh, good, the bad, the queen. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you're always trying to do something different artistically. Um, and, and I think that's just, just the nature of the beast. So um, no, good album, great album. Everyone should listen to it. I think it's a great album. And I even forgot to mention Grace Jones. Grace Jones is on the album as well. Slay to the rhythm. <laughs> Sorry, I've got carried away. Yeah, no, um, no great album. It, it, it really brings back, I mean, I'm probably being a bit selfish and talking from a personal experience, but it really brings back great memories for myself as well. Um, but yeah, a, a, absolutely, um, yeah, absolutely great album. And what a, a funny memory it kind of brings back. It might be funny to myself and not anyone else, but I remember being in Manchester with the boys and um, waking up the next morning, needing some breakfast in Manchester, hungover. And all of my mates were just sleeping in their hotel beds. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go out myself and just walking around the city I'm just going to listen to the album and yeah by the end of it I was just like wow okay and I kind of went missing for about an hour and a half just walking the streets yeah, of Manchester the album and falling in love with the with the um, with the album and similar to yourself Mark the last album I mean I did I did get into the Plastic Beach album but Demon Days I absolutely love the album I still listen to that sometimes now what a great great album that featured again some of my favourite artists such as Roots and Maneuver and Martina Topley Bird it, it kind of made me really get into the Gorillas again after not listening to an album of theirs since Plastic Beach. So, mm. yeah, um, great pick. Lee, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the album at all. 
Well, I'm kicking myself because I've been one of those people who know the popular um, crossover, shall we say, hits of the Gorillas, and I've always loved them. But by and by and large, I've kind of um, I've kind of slept on them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always appreciated um, artists who have a genuine, not just in music, but this is a music podcast. Um, I've always appreciated artists who have that genuine love of various musical styles and are able to weave together um, musical projects and collaborate in a way that I, I think it's clear sometimes where some artists can be going for the biggest oh, I'm a pop act and I want to appeal to this or that market, so which rapper is big this month? Okay, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll get them on my single. Hey, look, I, and vice versa, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big rapper and now what I need to do is I need to cross over with this rock band and da-da-da-da-da. And, and, you know, you, you, you get that gut reaction that something is off. And whether it's a record label trying to cross-promote or the artist is kind of jumping the shark, so to speak. I think you can feel that. But I think you can also feel in certain albums. I'm, I'm thinking of albums like... Um, I'm thinking of albums like Prince Paul and Gorillaz member or Gorillaz affiliate Dan the Automator. Dan the Automator. Where they did, they did projects under the fantastic name Handsome Boy Modeling School. And um, they, they did two, two albums. I think they did two albums. And the first one was called Words to the Effect of So How's Your Girlfriend? And that album had people from Atari Teenage Riot through to um, LP, through to um, the lady from Maloko. If one of you guys can remind me what the lady from Maloko is called. Thank you. So, you know, to Roisin Murphy on a track with Jay Live. Um, And just just these albums where, I mean, again, we've said it before. What is more hip-hop than taking things from different quote-unquote cultures and different musical styles and flipping them in a different way you know i mean whether whether it's rocking the kazao shades with adidas whether it's sampling um daryl hall and oats and making an 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 anti-crack um record you know hip-hop has been so um is so postmodern. i've swallowed a dictionary that's my new word this week um and so to have people like damon albo damon alban and and the rest of the gorillas come together and 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 be able to weave these different musical styles together and collaborate with different people and it's and it's kind you know it's I don't know uh, uh, if it wasn't going to pick up on the microphone I bang my head against the, the table because why <laughs> why have I been sleeping on the gorillas like this you know um, one thing I will say as well is and I think this is an excuse just so I can wrap the line. But um, did you say that it was produced by Twilight Tone? Is that the Chicago Twilight Tone, Mark yeah. Anthony? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. um, as, as in when Common said, six deep in the Hyundai bumping Twilight Tone tapes. Yeah. Because, right, okay, yeah, okay. The Chicago talent in hip-hop has, it, that, that, that well has ran deep, mm. and it is far from dry. Um, shout out to, to the Chicago people that I know, like Radius, um, objects in orbit, um, Doctor Illingsworth. I have to do that. I have an unashamed love for for, for, for the Chicago people that have shown me love in in in, in my beat tape and, and beat blog endeavors over the years. So shout out to them. Um, to Pimp a Butterfly. I was just listening to um, an interview that Kendrick Lamar did with Nardwar 
um, earlier on in the day. And Kendrick Lamar said that his father was actually from Chicago. So again, various, you know, the, the quintessentially West Coast flavor of um, Kendrick Lamar in one way. But again, you get these musical and cultural landmarks where sooner or later you can almost kind of go, right, right, right. How long is it going to be until someone mentions Chicago? Ah, oh, there you go. There's a Chicago influence of a mover and shaker in the background. So, yeah, I will have to... Uh, tomorrow, that's it. My, my listening is set. I'm putting the headphones on. I'm walking around for an hour social distancing. <laughs> Humans by the Gorillas. Mark Anthony, thank you for putting me onto it. And Mark Williams, ditto. And um, reverting yeah. back to what you said before, though, about artists that do something for a fad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was a risk of that when the Gorillas started. Um, but all, all props to all the members. Risk, they, fear of... Yeah, yeah, and Damon Auburn, because he, he has fallen into that remit of, say, like... When, when Bowie decided he was going to make soul music and got Luther as a backing singer, and you think, well, how's that going to work? But he was completely yeah. committed to it, and it worked. Or when when Weller said, do you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm going to start a grab band called The Style Council, and we did something completely different, yeah. but, but it worked. You know, if you're committed to it and you're that artistically gifted, then it will work, and, and, and in this instance, it does work. It does yeah. work. Mark Anthony, how did you hook up with um, the, the, the Gorillaz on that tour? So I, I feel that we've now talked about three legendary albums, and now I'm about to talk about my little tiny, tiny album that I released. <laughs> but, hey, um, so, yeah, 2016, I released a solo album called Reckless Caution, and I was lucky enough to be able to tour it by performing it festivals in and around uh, mainly the UK, a couple in Europe. Obviously, I, I didn't have the status to be going worldwide with it, but yeah, I, I, I did loads of shows around um, the UK, which was mainly festivals and sort of music music venues and just a couple of little um, support act slots that were um, quite cool. But I met one of the Gorillaz's production team and I got a bit of a report with him and literally just through emails, etc. I cheekily said, oh, if you guys are looking for a support act, um, you know, give me a shout, give me a shout thinking to myself that's not gonna happen but i'll just put it i'll just put it out there for the tour they had loads they had quite a few support acts because they took the tour around the world it was a big worldwide tour that went on for two went on for two years and then um surprisingly out of the blue i just received an email to ask if i would be interested in just doing the uk leg of the tour so it was just five days manchester birmingham Two in London, one in St Albans at the Auburn Arena and one in Bournemouth. And I was just asked if I wouldn't mind doing 20 minutes. So I thought, my God, that's crazy, of course, yeah. So I, I, and I wasn't the only support act. I wasn't the only support act. There was quite a few support acts. Little Sims, who we referenced on uh, one of the early shows, she was one. She was one of the support acts, and the biggest support act on the tour was Little Dragon. So, you, you know, the the other support acts in my mind were quite established. You know, I was just some kind of newcomer with my little team of people, and <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, I, I it was just a, a, a literally just a short twenty minute set um, as a support act. But I remember being accepted to do it was really really good and really flattering and all the rest of it but I remember in reality 
being backstage at the gigs being an absolute nervous wreck because I, I had like a couple of people with me but I remember looking around me backstage and you had people like De La Soul there and Noel Gallagher and obviously Damon and his team and Twilight Turn wasn't there but um, just like coming to my ass Bob <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah, and, and in my mind, there was just there were just some really good established artists, and I felt like a fraud. I thought to myself, "Man, I really, should, I really shouldn't be here." You know, the the excitement that seemed like weeks beforehand of doing the tour turned to fear because I was just thinking, "There are thousands and thousands of people that are, that are gonna either really hate me and just be like booing me." Or it will go okay. And luckily, I'm glad to say that it went it went okay. I remember saying someone saying to me they went to see you perform, and you um you came out and you looked a little bit nervous, but you went full Bernie Mac and just said, "I scare you, motherfuckers." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I did. I, did say, I remember because I'm because I'm quite a laid back person in my in myself, and I ain't knowing you know, my 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 musical kind of world in my mind is just leave me in my studio and I'm fine. I I will be in my studio recording all the rest of it but I'm not a natural extrovert so having to like kind of switch on to this aka performer type person um where like behind the scenes I'm kind of like shaking but I'm just trying to give it some that's kind of what I do really but I was an absolute nervous wreck I remember uh, before going on each occasion I was just thinking what am I doing here these I'm, I'm not in the same league as a lot of these other musicians um, be with. But yeah, that was that was just my kind of one-off 2017 experience. That was cool. It's mad because I remember going to a gig at um, the Roundhouse. I remember the gig that I went to go and see Lenny Kravitz as part of the, yeah. a part of the Apple Music Festival. And the, warm-up, oh, right. and the warm-up act was a band called Wolf Alice, who are now like a well, well-established band. But at the time, I remember this girl walking out and I thought to myself, oh my God, she looks scared. Like she legitimately looked scared until she strummed that first note. And then that was yeah. it. Like once that was it, you were just like, wow, like blew me away. It was like, wow, actually, I, I think I kind of enjoyed that more than I did the Kravitz gig. You know, like it was such a good yeah. performance and the transition from sort of walking on the stage, looking so nervous to then, I've, I'm here now, I've got to do this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. all respect to you, Bob. All respect to you, Bob. Yeah, yeah and I've got to say performing, um, I mean, you know, I, I do what I've got to do. But um, admittedly, it isn't my first kind of comfort thing. I don't know if that makes sense. But I, you know, I'm I like being in the studio. I like recording music, and I like doing what I'm doing. But when it comes to kind of going out on stage, I have to really psych myself up into being this different person because I, I'm just not an extrovert. I'm not mm. the sort of person that could just kind of walk around like watch me. You know, I'd, I'd much prefer to just, you know, even going. I mean, probably more so for you, you Mark Williams. Even probably um, going out. You know, within our little group, we've got the louder characters and the ones that are a little bit kind of like a bit more laid back. It's kind of that sort of thing. I'd, I'd, I'll happily kind of blend in the background and mingle in my own way rather than going in a club or a bar and being like yeah I'm here kind of yeah thing, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I kind of, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no it was fun it was it was it was fun anyway so once again guys thank you very much for your time it's been a lovely chat I thoroughly enjoyed it three great albums uh, listeners please go out and listen to our playlist listen to the um, albums and give us your feedback you can contact us contact us on Instagram which is Influenced Music Podcast you can get us on our blog which is influencedpodcast.co.uk 
Um, as as normal, the, the the podcast will be available on all the usual outlets and the playlist will be available on all the usual outlets as well. We also create the playlist on YouTube so you can watch the music videos to go with with the tracks. Thanks again, guys. Guys, you'll be back for me for the next episode. Definitely so. Very much hope so. Yes, sir. We'll be talking about music released in the year 2000, a very special year for music. And I've got a feeling that Lee's going to have another rant about Common. Um, <laughs> so um, I look forward to speaking to you guys then. Thanks. Thank you very much. I love that Common album. Shall we just start, start going straight <laughs> into the, um, the next episode? So yeah, welcome to the year is 2000 and Common has just... <laughs> I love that album. Thanks, folks. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Fluence Music Podcast. We explore new music and making connections back to previous musical generations via panel debates, uh, conversations and interviews with artists, enthusiasts and media insiders.